Welcome to Chatter. I'm David Priest, publisher of Lawfare. This week, researcher and author Dennis Neviak on blackouts in film and TV. A blackout is not only darkness, it's not just about the lights are going off, but the total end of communication, of responding society. You cannot call anybody to help you. Of course, it's not comfortable to talk about these things, you know. It's it's not about preparing for the end of the world. It's about preparing to be on yourself maybe for seven days, for ten days. And um, this is maybe one thing that we can all learn from the motion pictures and from the TV shows. I would say it would be the task also of governments to educate people who are not talking about this topic as we are doing. State can do a lot to help those who cannot help themselves, but it could be everybody who needs help in such a situation. So everybody is asked to do their best. Dennis, thank you for joining us on Chatter. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Tell us about how someone gets into media cultural history and manages to make a career out of watching disaster (laughs) movies. How does this happen? Oh, that's a good question. Actually, I was always fascinated by films, television. I watched a lot of stuff uh, in my youth. And someday I thought that should be my profession. And one of my favorite genres was always disaster movies. I don't know why. I just thought it's fascinating to see what happens if society somehow gets disrupted or gets confronted with a problem uh, which they have to deal with it because it says a lot about how our society works. And um, then, yeah, it was like a main topic of my research now. I'm, I actually finished my PhD in a completely different topic. Now, maybe not a completely different topic. It's about loneliness research mm-hmm. and uh, representations of uh, loneliness or you could say social isolation in modern society in uh, TV and cinema. And yeah, while the pandemic, I thought uh, it should be interesting also to look into the real uh, catastrophes, the real disasters and how they are represented in film and television. There's a lot to dig into there. So going back to, and, I, and I'm the same way, as as far back as I can remember as a kid, I liked watching the the, the movies where big things happen, mm-hmm. not the character study of, of this couple and what they go through in normal life, uh, although I respect the, the work and the people who appreciate it. For me, I wanted the big epic disasters happening. Uh, for you, what was the draw? Was it more the disaster for for you, the attraction being the actual catastrophe? Mm. Or was it more about how people deal with it Mm. and what it says about us? I think it's more of the second part. Of course, it's always fun to watch spectacular movies to see uh, all the action. And um, but I think the second question is more interesting uh, because I'm also very interested in uh, interest in politics and I'm very curious about how people are managing future questions. For example, just think about climate change. Um, now we have the situation with the energy crisis and I think film and television can talk a lot about how we can deal with those problems and that's what I'm most curious about. And yeah, that's also may be the main topic of my books at the moment. Um, as I feel in the moment that we have um, big issues to find answers for the big questions of our time. And sometimes you need big pictures for those uh, questions in TV and film. And at the moment, I think we can learn a lot from the media. What do you think is the main, we we say gateway drug, what is the main (laughs) way that people get into this field from others that you've worked with? Is Is it from that fascination with the the film and TV growing up? 
Or do you think it is from that sociology side and they apply it to film and TV? So your colleagues, are they similarly wired to you hmm. or did they come to this from a different place? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I think that this uh, topic of science fiction movies in general is not so popular in film and TV research at the moment. It's, mm. it's coming somehow now um, because, you know, somehow science fiction became reality in the last years. So you have to deal with that. But um, it's still not a big uh, problem uh, for, for researchers in this field. But um, if I talk to colleagues about my, my research, um, Mm-hmm. Actually, I hear that they are curious about what I'm doing and they think it's it's a nice idea. Um, but there are so many interesting questions, you know, in each um, uh, academic discourse. So this is only one problem. And I love also to um, watch movies for completely different reasons. For example, for a nice uh, film music I'm very interested in or um, yeah, for, for my loneliest topic. So, But I think they fit together. They work together. Talk a little bit more about your research that led to your dissertation. You said it was about uh, the issue of loneliness Mm -hmm. and loneliness as it's expressed in media. Um, What were your key takeaways from doing all of that work? Yeah. Uh, Actually, it was just that when when I was watching movies and television series, I had the feeling that this is somehow a main topic in the moment and that this is increasing as a a discourse in fictional context and fictional filmic works. And um, I did a lot of research looking into sociological work, uh, philosophical work, and I found that many of these um, very complex thoughts which are developed in academic discourses are somehow in a way that you can feel this, these very abstract problems in the TV and in the cinema because, you know, Loneliness it does not just mean to me that uh, people feel uh, a romantic loneliness, for example, nobody loves me and uh, everybody hates me. That's just maybe one one dimension of the whole problem. But that uh, that would be my um, my hypothesis that uh, modernity somehow tends to, um, um, you could say, grow social isolation as a problem in modern society. Um, and you can see this, for example, with digitalization, with social media, um, everybody now somehow knows that it does not uh, does good to us because it's, uh, sometimes sometimes we feel just lost in front of the screens, scrolling down of these uh, images. And uh, of course, we see the other people, but we cannot connect to them. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, only one dimension. So long answer to a short question. Um, the key takeaway would, would be that it makes us... Um, feel more comfortable talking about this taboo uh, topic of loneliness when we have the opportunity to watch it and to talk about what we see uh, because it's always easier to talk about a film or a TV series than about, you know, big philosophical issues. Now, some some films make that obvious, that that is the point of the Mm. narrative. I'm thinking here of something like WALL-E where (laughs) loneliness and separation is part of the story. Mm -hmm. Others, it's at best subtext, or maybe mm-hmm. the filmmaker doesn't realize it at all. Mm-hmm. But, but something about creating the fact that viewers are watching this happen, it's its almost like a hidden theme, mm-hmm. which is one of the things you explored. That's right. Uh, sometimes it's hidden, or you could say it's hidden between the different aesthetic levels, as I call them in my dissertation of uh, films and TV series, because it's not only um, it's not only about talking about loneliness. I know you have not uh, very often a situation that the characters are really phrasing it as um, as a word, or that they are talking about it very um, very directly. 
actually you have the, those situations as well in some series it's um it's exhausting sometimes but uh um what I'm more curious about: What pictures do they find for the problem of loneliness, or what does how does loneliness sound? Mm -hmm. uh, which soundtrack, for example, do they find? What is it, the score of uh, being lonely? And actually, I would say, of course, they are sometimes more concrete, sometimes not so uh, obvious. But um, one thing I I found out is that um, that loneliness has sometimes um, an interconnecting function. You could say with communities as they are working. Um, together as a, a dramatization strategy. For example, think about the Big Bang Theory. They are very lonely characters. I, yeah. I think we can say that in the beginning. But they need these lonelinesses to show them how they built a functional community, not only with their partners at the end of the show, but also as a working community together. So the series needs this uh, initial loneliness to mm -hmm. explain them how they are dealing with this problem. And of course, it's funny to watch them, how they try to do their best to to come together. And sometimes it's the other way around that we have that that we have tragic um, or you could say drama series where we have um, functional communities at the beginning Break apart. and then they're falling apart. So it's somehow yeah interchanging between these two um, poles, community and loneliness. What I'm I'm curious about. It seems to me just uh, anecdotally that the the former is more common than the latter. That mm -hmm. is, like I can think of more examples of. You know the, these people who are perhaps lost or perhaps just uh, more independent, mm. who in the course of a narrative find each other and everyone's better yep. off and we all leave happy. Mm -hmm. I can think of more of those than I can think of the latter, where you have a well-functioning social unit and we just watch it fragment. But they're out there. They are. I, I think at the moment even more those drama tragic tragic uh, narratives um, in my dissertation uh, work. For example, I'm looking into Thirteen Reasons Why. I think it was a very popular a series also in the United States with this uh, girl who is um, uh, killing herself because she is bullied uh, at high school. Mm. Um, more, It's more a youth series. And I think it's... Uh, what, what is the show? 13 Reasons Why. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's a Netflix series. Mm. And you have, you know, this uh, very lovely, happy girl. And she is somehow trying to find her way in this new town. And actually, she finds some friends and she has parents who love her. But... All these small communities are falling apart step by step. Or uh, second second series I'm looking into it is Bates Motel. You know oh, yes. Norman Bates. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. as a, yeah, Iconic. we know what happens to him and what <laughs> happens to the the women who are uh, visiting him. But uh, in this series, they show that, and it's very it's funny somehow to see it that Norman Bates at the beginning he's just a boy, you know, mm -hmm. and everybody is uh, who becomes a murderer is just a boy at the beginning. Um, unfortunately and then they uh, show how what happened to him that he becomes what he became what we know from the hitchcock movie and right. at the beginning he also has his friends and mother is not the the uh, the beast as it is as, as it's shown in the movie hmm. and it, it, the same same thing happens you could say that modernity somehow yeah tries to um yeah that that modern phenomena like not only digitalization, but also you could say acceleration that they that he has to find his part in modern society. What is his uh, his part he, he could fulfill in this in the society? There's so many factors who are you could say um, yeah destroying his his connection to the others. And yeah, I think that's fascinating to watch because it talks about a lot how our society works at the moment. And it is increasingly common it seems for uh, writers and filmmakers to, to get into that area for example you, you name one i immediately think of something like wicked mm -hmm. which is exploring the backstory mm -hmm. of a character that people are fascinated mm -hmm. by or 
the Star Wars series going back to Solo to yep. explore the origin story. But in telling the origin story, there's there's a different emotional narrative often than was in the original. Because Absolutely. you're seeing how they got to the person they were. Yeah, I think that's a trend in television at the moment. We are talking a lot about quality TV and sometimes it's not easy to say what's so qualitative about quality TV. And I think one thing is that they try to get... Uh, to the more complex questions than they than the movies, for example, in the 70s and 80s did. The movies and television, of course, are completely different. You have 90 minutes to talk something, uh, to talk about something, and then you have maybe five seasons with 20 episodes to talk through uh, a complicated problem. But hmm. as we are watching a lot of TV shows now, I think this is also a sign for that we try to understand how things are working, how things are uh, connected to each other, and why the characters are... Um, dealing with problems as they do and why do they not do anything else than they are doing in the in the tv show so um, i think it's just fascinating to see um, to understand you could say the psychology or the character um, of, um, of a character in the motion pictures uh, through a tv show who explains us you could say um, their feelings and their emotions um, in five episodes in five seasons with 10 episodes like in the Bates Motel for example right well I was drawn to your work because I, I saw some of the things you'd done that related to what what I would call national security related mm -hmm. topics things like dealing with global pandemic things like dealing with uh, global blackouts mm -hmm. and either the causes or the effects and you have a great quote that I think captures why this this matters to our audience you wrote it is my hope that by making explicit the creative, behavioral, and problem-solving knowledge hidden in film and television. It will enable those who otherwise do not have or find access to film and television or who have special responsibilities mm -hmm. in crisis preparedness and management to behave appropriately in a crisis. I mean, you're really thinking about those in positions of responsibility in politics, in administration, in business, and in a sense how we can help them by understanding what has come out in this cultural history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, when I uh, wrote those two books about the pandemics and about the blackouts, I always somehow <laughs> hoped that maybe somebody would read those books uh, um, who could some somehow also deal with it in the, in the nature that they really um, are reacting to those situations more, um, you could say, more reasonable and that they are somehow prepared for disasters which are still coming Um uh, in the future of course with the pandemic it was more or less a situation that i saw what is happening around us and i, I had after all the pandemic movie watching the feeling that i have to write something about that so it was more <laughs> coming after the catastrophe with, with good tips uh, and tricks but um now with uh, the the blackout issue i think if we see in society that almost nobody's prepared for this for this problem um i really hope that um the audience will um, somehow try to do the best uh, if the situation sometime, uh, sometimes maybe come up. Well, we know we have listeners uh, in the United States policymaking community and mm -hmm. emergency management that hopefully will be exactly the audience <laughs> you were trying to reach. So we, we've done that part. Um, I do want to talk just briefly about the pandemic side before I turn to the topic that, that fascinated me, which is the global catastrophes or local catastrophes, but mm -hmm. often global in film and TV that knock out electricity and take us back to a, uh, a more primal place in mm -hmm. many in many cases. But on the pandemic side, what did you find that film and television writ large or in, in specific cases 
got right and wrong mm -hmm. once we saw how the COVID pandemic yeah. played out. Yeah, that's um, it was just fascinating to see that, of course, all those narratives um, are always very dramatized. Of mm -hmm. course, you have uh, these pandemic narratives like zombie viruses uh, killing almost everybody and people have also to deal with this problem. Um, COVID um, was something different, of course, but you also have those very nuanced films like, um, how's it called, Contagion, mm -hmm. um, of course, it's also still more dramatized than the COVID, pan uh, COVID pandemic sure. and uh, um, more people affected. But if you are watching this movie now, and I think many people have watched this movie um, in 2020 because uh, it was just very popular again um, after it was not that popular when it uh, was released. And yeah, you just you're seeing these pictures and, you know, this could also be news to what you're watching when, for example, they have those hospitals in um gyms or if mm. they have to bury all these uh, dead bodies in the in the central park so um, that was just somehow obvious to me that there are parallels and you have to deal with that and then i was curious about what could happen still in the pandemic it was 2020 so maybe april or may when the when the book arrived and there was still <laughs> some years to go with, with COVID. Absolutely. And there was, for example, one problem also in the Contagion movie with the conspiracy theories, which um, arrived then, um, yep. especially in industrialized uh, societies, not only, but um, it was just, um, yeah, I, I thought, why is this film thinking about this problem before we are dealing with that in reality? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's the same thing is with the mask wearing, you know, people right. are just where the noses always uh, not hidden and uh, they do not think about it it's um you know you have to learn to to use these masks which are for professional use uh, in the first point but um yeah the, those pictures were somehow you could say prophetic and um, i just wanted to look t deeper into it to see what is uh, talked about in these uh, pictures uh, which we will maybe dealing in the future maybe not i find it interesting that in the what I will call the pandemic-related or pandemic-adjacent movies that I've seen, there is almost always either a major plot point or a supporting point of distrust of government, mm -hmm. that the very people who have decided to serve in the public sector in order to protect people in many of the areas explored are the very ones that people don't trust. Mm -hmm. um, what does that say about our pandemic response? Because we, we've seen a lot of that in different countries around the world, mm -hmm. that it becomes an anti-government thing, which is, is not in one's self-interest. You're actually harming yourself and your family by not taking protective measures. Mm -hmm. But because it's the government telling you to take those measures, you feel like you are being oppressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, I thought a lot about that question. And sorry, I cannot talk about, of course, governments, uh, because my main issue of, of topic uh, of, of research is um, television and, and um, cinema. But what I can say from the material that what I got through is maybe two main points. There's, so of course, always a lot more to say, but uh, there are two things which are always coming up again. The first thing is, again, I think transparency that the people in these uh, movies sometimes feel that not everything is told them <laughs> to put it very um, easily but uh, that I would not say that this was a problem in the pandemic but I, only the feeling that this could be the problem can be a problem to to the um, to the people to the characters in these series and in these movies and the second thing is and I somehow I can understand the the characters in this situation sometimes they have the feeling they did not enough to prepare us for that situation you know they have 
um, the power, they have the money to um, buy masks in advance. They have the money, the power, if we think about the blackout topic, for example, to um, push their emergency responses before something happens. And everybody knows that these disasters will eventually happen in the future and not every single individual is able to prepare for those uh, problems by themselves because it's just expensive and not everybody has the knowledge about that. So um, in short, I, I think the, the most uh, uh, worrying issue is that if the public in those pictures um, has the feeling that governments did not their job, <laughs> you could say, right. then it's not easy to, to deal with that because they think we're doing our job every day. Do, the, do your job. <laughs> right. Well, to the, the topic of the global blackout, the, the subject of your book, mm -hmm. Preparing for the Global back mm -hmm. Blackout, a Disaster Guide from TV and Cinema, there's hardly anything more taken for granted in modern society than electricity. Mm -hmm. And at, a, at an individual level, you don't notice this until you walk into a room and if it still has a switch in it, you flip the switch <laughs> to turn the lights on yeah. and the lights don't come on. Mm -hmm. Because it's such an automated thing that, uh, at least in, in my experience, I've seen myself do it, I've seen others do it, is you look at the switch as if you've never seen yeah. it before, and suddenly you flip it off and on again as mm -hmm. if that's going to change mm -hmm. it. And sometimes you'll do that over and over <laughs> again, and it's got to be fun to watch that as a mm -hmm. psychologist or sociologist to mm -hmm. see the human reaction to something mm -hmm. that is so taken for granted. You've explored how electricity, which has made life safer in mm -hmm. myriad ways, has also made it more dangerous than mm -hmm. ever because of this vulnerability. Yeah. Um, talk about blackout as a real thing and how it does affect people. Oh, um, you cannot imagine how many uh, areas of society would be affected by uh, such a situation. We had, of course, already blackouts uh, in the in the past. Um, I, I, did not, I just have to write down when when was the last big uh, blackout in the United States? Was 2013? Something like it's, that. It's been a little while, but so, I remember that big East Coast yeah. uh, blackout in uh, Canada. Mm -hmm. There was a big one. So you have some experience with, with these problems, but mm -hmm. the, the thing is that these blackouts mostly are over after several hours or maybe after right. a day, two days. And of course, it's not comfortable to the most people. For some people, it's a big problem in hospitals, for example, or right. in critical infra uh, infrastructure. So you have um, to prepare also for those uh, situations. But the worrying thing, uh, worrying thing is, um, you could say, the most uh, problematic thing about blackouts is if they do not stop after one or two days. And then you see, okay, what do I do if my cell phones are not working anymore? Mm -hmm. Because all the... Um, all the mobile communication um, is, you could say, prepared for blackouts of 30 minutes or 60 minutes and then it's just gone. And mm -hmm. just think about especially young people who they are completely dependent on working smartphones and what's happening to them then when, when the battery is low. Right. So uh, this is one thing. But, uh, of course, just think about police, um, firefighting, uh, mm -hmm. all these um, emergency responses. Hospitals, of course, have, for example, their emergency preparedness for 48, 70, uh, 72 hours. But after that, then it's gone. And um, just think about society where the hospitals um, are not available anymore, or where there's no water coming from the tap. Uh, that's also a thing that mostly most people do not think about, uh, that also you need electricity to um, have a working water system. And uh, without water, nothing is working. So yeah, I could call, uh, could name many more examples for exa gas stations. Yeah, they're also not working anymore because there's no gas coming from the pumps anymore. So right. almost anything is working with electricity at this moment. And mm. um, this makes this topic really, um, yeah, important, I think.
And what, what a lot of film and TV explores is what happens in those moments afterward. Mm -hmm. But then but then there's a turning point. And that turning point is when it goes from being a, a temporary inconvenience yep. to a real problem, mm -hmm. whether it's in the medical dramas, which gratuitously have to do an episode <laughs> or a series of special episodes on the blackout and then the generators fail. Yeah. And what do you do with patients trapped in elevators yeah, as yeah. they always seem to be? <laughs> um, but but also just societally, what happens when it, it goes from, oh, no, you know, mm -hmm. I, I can't get a signal on my cell phone mm -hmm. to I have no communication mm -hmm. because I can't get television. Mm -hmm. I can't get Internet. Mm -hmm. Many people don't have radios anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even radio, which could continue mm -hmm. with a generator for a relatively long time, radios will tend to drop out as an important source of information. Mm -hmm. And what happens to people when they look all around them, they don't see any of the things that they're used to working and they don't know why and they don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. That leads to a lot of good drama. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I think um, it's a full good reason that uh, TV makers and filmmakers love blackouts uh, because you can talk a lot about people who are disrupted in their everyday lives. And of course, you always have these initial pictures of happy people going to school, to work and not worrying about anything. For example, in The Walking Dead, you have uh, Rick and Shane eating a burger and fries and everything is there and you do not have to worry about anything. Uh, and then suddenly this this happens and you completely have to adjust to this new situation. Um, and what I would say from watching a lot of TV series and motion pictures uh, in this context is that there are different types how they are reacting to the situation. Um, some people just, you could say, think that's nothing bad. Electricity mm -hmm. will come back and then everything will be good again. Mm -hmm. And then there are other, other people who are somehow feeling that there could be a bigger problem um, behind uh, the curtains and um, sometimes they're right sometimes they're wrong maybe there's also a third type um, yeah it's you could say it's more the prepper type they knew there is something coming they are prepared for everything and somehow maybe they even, even hope that something will happen mm -hmm. um, there's a completely different issue but uh, these yeah. two um, main kinds of people could you could be somehow representable for the society because uh, as we have seen with the pandemic there have been a lot of people who really understood there's a problem now and we have to deal with it and we have wear a mask and we have to do social distancing and so on but of course there also have been people who think it's more like a flu or that's um it's not that bad as they are trying to tell uh, to tell us so those diff two different types could also be a problem with blackouts and mostly what we'll we'll talk about in the next few minutes are fictional representations but mm -hmm. but first i'd like you to tell briefly the story of 14 hours because that <laughs> that is almost a documentary mm, you could it's, say that it's so based on true events and i don't know that every character and every person said what was said but mm. but it does represent what what happened after i can't remember which storm but one mm. of the big storms so talk briefly at just about 14 hours and and how that really opens up a lot of insight into what happens mm -hmm. when electricity goes away. Mm -hmm. It's only one uh, picture of, of many. So as I recollected, it's about a hurricane that's hitting, um, I think it's Houston, yep. mm -hmm. Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. And um, then um, a hospital is shown how it's um, completely, you could say, yeah, all the services disrupted because the um, emergency generators are flooded. And of course, they have the generators again. And it's, it's, it's a typical um, thing a thing in these hospital narratives that they always are prepared somehow, but the preparations are, yeah, 
um, are, are not usable anymore uh, for different reasons. Sometimes they had too many savings and the generators are um, yeah just just not working when you need it. And, and then you have the situation with the water in 14 hours. And yeah, you, you can see how um, the hospital staff has to do everything what they are used to do with um, automats and uh, automatically by their own hands. For example, there's one um, scene where they have to uh, ventilate um, babies. Uh, and of course, mm -hmm. normally this works through electricity and uh, fully automatically. And it's very important, for example, for babies who are born too early uh, that they get their, their fresh air. Um, and then um, you have these automated ventilators with a battery of 15 minutes, but then they do not work anymore. And it's um, quite similar to the Grace Anatomy scene where they then um, do it by hand and they mm -hmm. uh, ask the parents to do that. And of course, they are completely worried uh, that they, they could do something wrong. But at the end, somehow it even, yeah, you could say bonds them even closer to their right. uh, newborns. And that's something right. also interesting to see that in these disaster moments, of course, you cannot dramatize them. Uh, it's always a bad situation for everybody. But in by thinking about um, good, um, you could say, um, by thinking about um, solving by by solving these issues, mm -hmm. um, then um, yeah, it shows people how they are coming together somehow again. And this this is not only a problem with blackout movies; that's a typical uh, situation in disaster movies that from the crisis the people learn again to communicate with each other, to cooperate with each other, and. Yeah. And, and appreciate each other in a yeah, case somehow. like that, appreciating mm -hmm. what the nurses have to go through on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis yeah. when the parents are the ones squeezing the mm -hmm, ventilator. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, the shocking thing about that TV movie, 14 Hours, was that, if I recall, it came out in the spring of 2005, mm. which was before Hurricane Katrina yeah. Yeah. hit. And, and watching this after those major storms, that and, and super storms that followed, People are like, well, of course, this is an easy drama to make, but that was that was before mm. that set of super storms, yep. um, and shocking that we we got there. Let's let's talk about some of the other causes. Obviously, weather can be a cause of mm -hmm. a major electricity outage, but the the films and TV shows that you looked at had <laughs> terrorism and criminal activity. They had alien invasions. <laughs> they had gamma ray bursts or solar flares. They had no kidding accidents that led mm -hmm. to, in some cases, mm -hmm. global outages. And in some movies, we we just don't know that that mm -hmm. is we're just mm -hmm. presented with a situation like most of us would be yeah. if suddenly the electricity were to go out and we had no communication. We probably wouldn't know if the cause was a nuclear attack, yeah. an alien invasion, some cosmic event. Um, I think here of the Book of Eli, where they go through the movie, it's clearly a post-apocalyptic landscape. Mm. And there's references to 30 years ago, The Flash, yeah, yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like this. But you do not really know what happened. And that's what I want to know. Mm -hmm. I, I want, I want, I'm want. i a political scientist, so I want the international relations backstory <laughs> to how did a global conflict lead to presumably some kind of nuclear exchange that led to The Flash. Mm -hmm. But that's not what they're telling us. No. So when it comes to all of these causes, do you find that any of them are are more or less compelling or do all of them lead to the same place ultimately where it's about the characters and how they get through it? Hmm. I think there are um, different styles, you could say, of these uh, movies. Um, and as you said, the reason is not the main point. Of course, that's somehow mm -hmm. you have to start with these stories somehow. So mostly they maybe in 80% of the story, you know, there has been a, a gamma burst from sun or 
uh, there has been um, some just uh, technical problem or what, whatever. So you um, know there something had happened and now you have to deal with that. And then the main reason is not that important anymore. It's more important to see how people are reacting. And mm -hmm. then it's something has to do with those two paths. Do the people still have the feeling that this is a thing that could be over after some days? Because then the people know, okay, we have to... Um, we have to live with this now for a short time of period and we know but after that <laughs> everything will be fine again but um, of course the most interesting narratives and the more um, dramatized narratives which are more, maybe even more attractive to, to audiences especially for of course a TV series who have to to uh, tell a story over, over the length of uh, several seasons so you have to um, deal with this problem a longer time and if you think about Tribes of Europa it's a German TV series mm. where somehow the characters are, of course also as we are are fascinated with the reason but um, it's more interesting to see how looks a society 50 years after the blackout after mm -hmm. the global blackout and, and it's mm -hmm. you could say fallen back to middle ages um, and uh, maybe this is one extreme point the other extreme points would be to show society um dealing after a week or two weeks uh, with the blackout. So this mm -hmm. is even, I could say, I, I cannot say realistic because I'm not a, a scientist in this in this area, but if you're looking into the discourses, it's it's possible, you could say, that uh, yeah. also blackout does not stop just after one or two days. Right. And I think this is, in, in the fictions, a very delicate problem. If the people begin to lose the hope that the electricity will return soon, and then, of course, then they um, have to improvise and they have to improvise. Yeah. And, they, you know, this uh, bond of trusting each other um, in, in a modern society, I think sometimes we do not think about this, uh, how this how important is this for mm -hmm. everyday social interactions that yeah. we, for example, trust each other. And if you do not trust your your um, companions anymore and you cannot trust them because everybody has to think about themselves because um, it's it's about everything it's about food it's about water about rescuing your family yeah. Um, yeah of course this this maybe destroys a society that's so interesting to think about in in the personal context I immediately go to uh, the house I live in the house next to us on one side and a few houses down are on the same power grid extension, I don't know what to call it, from, from the main power lines. Mm -hmm. The house on the other side of it and going the other direction are on a different branch. Mm -hmm. And when the power does go out, sometimes I will look one direction and it's all dark and mm -hmm. I will look the other direction mm -hmm. and I see light. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you, you can't tell during the day. Mm -hmm. It's not immediately clear. Yeah. And frequently I will text or call the neighbor. They will call us within minutes of power going out, mm -hmm. either on our end because we're initiating the call or from them saying, is your power on? Mm -hmm. And then immediately it's the, hey, you need anything? And, mm -hmm. it, you know, if mm -hmm. this continues for a while, let us know, come over, or we'll hang out. Yeah. And that all feels very good. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think that if that lasted for a, a day, which it has, mm -hmm. or a week, which it hasn't quite done, or mm -hmm. a month, mm -hmm. That that feeling of we're in this together, we're going to help each other would still be there. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, I'm I'm not sure yeah. because I don't know what the constraints become on just everyday life. Mm -hmm. the, the fact of having clean water, the, fa the toilets aren't going to work because the electricity at the waste facilities mm -hmm. won't allow it to, to work. Um, but I'd like to think that that element of community and trust mm -hmm. is there and would have more of a lasting effect, at least at the local level, yep. than it does in many of these movies, where yep. sometimes the Purge series, for example, mm -hmm. it's basically 
every every person, every house for themselves. They will yeah. barricade yeah. because they can't trust their neighbors yeah. at that point. That seems a little dark compared to <laughs> my personal reality, mm-hmm. but I also can't rule it out. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand you because I think there are two main questions and uh, the professionals from the disaster management who are hearing us, um, they know about this way better than, than us, but it's always a question about how which area is disrupted from from a blackout. If mm-hmm. it's just, as you said, just a neighborhood or maybe part of the city, then you always have help from the, from the other country. Um, so disaster management in basics always thinks about disruptions, about uh, disasters, which are somehow locally um, have their local borders. And um, outside of these borders, normal life somehow proceeds and uh, they can help the people who are in trouble. But in um, this, just just a power outage, as, as you said, happens now and then. But uh, when you're thinking about the blackout and when we're talking about the blackout, we mean a national-wide, long-lasting um, power outage yeah. uh, where everybody is somehow... Um, uh, touched by this, then you know there's <laughs> there's nobody you can wait for for help because the FEMA, for example, is not prepared to help. How many people live in the United States? Oh, we're really? around three hundred and thirty, three hundred and forty so million. You you cannot provide food and water no. for no. Th- this amount of people. So um, everybody has prepared for themselves somehow, mm-hmm. and we only can hope that everybody did this for for just the normal disasters which can occur every day. That's right. One of the themes that that comes up in these. Uh, films and TV shows that you write about is that moment when characters recognize that things will be different mm-hmm. and and what that induces in them. So I watched um, How It Ends, mm-hmm. the Netflix movie, and there's this great moment where he's at the airport very early on in the movie, so I'm not giving anything away, <laughs> but he's at the airport to catch a flight yeah. and the board literally yeah. goes from a few flights being delayed or canceled to canceled, 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 yeah. canceled, canceled, all of them. Uh, and then the power does go out there as well. And there's that recognition. You can see it in the actor that I've got to change my plans, obviously. <laughs> so he does the thing, which he goes back to the people he knows mm-hmm. best that are closest. But then the movie kind of takes that to an extended extreme mm-hmm. because it becomes, in a sense, a travelogue. Um as this character and I won't reveal other parts, but mm-hmm. as, as this character and others uh, travel to try to get to somewhere mm-hmm. else, it's almost like an apocalypse now feeling of, of yeah. you know, going upriver <laughs> and things descend. And as this time goes on, mm-hmm. things are decidedly different just in terms of who you can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you behave in almost any normal social situation? And it seems to me that that's a it's not a perfect exploration, but I thought it was a pretty good exploration of, in one isolated case, how that recognition that things are different affects immediate behavior. Absolutely. And uh, I think this is uh, more or less a typical thing for those movies and those uh, TV shows that, uh, you know, we have, of course, a completely different perspective on the, the things that are happening, where if you could always say God's view on, mm-hmm. we know everything about the situation, we know everything right. about the characters and everything what the characters do not know about each other. So mm-hmm. we have a complete different understanding of the situation. But if you are feeling what they are going through, then you always have to see they're looking at this world with only their two eyes and they have to make their decisions on the basis of what they are knowing and what they are not. And this is a very good example with the what... Um, the film uh, how it ends um, because the main character has to figure out how to 
to deal with this problem always in the context <laughs> how bad is it now and yeah. uh, this uh, iconic I, I would even say that's a stereotype even in this in the genre that these um boards with the delayed uh, flights or you could also say uh, trains we also have a german mm -hmm. series blackout just uh, arrived two years ago and you have the it's i think the second or third uh, scene of the movie uh, of the series that um at, at the berliner hauptbahnhof um, mm -hmm. berlin main uh, central station um all the trains are just switches. Yeah, so switches yeah. and yeah. Huh. this is uh, very important for the characters because if this happens you know there's something bigger going on if it's mm -hmm. just maybe the light is flashing and uh, maybe some trains are um, uh, delayed or um, th then you can deal with this but if you see <laughs> everything is affected then this is mostly a, a sign for the characters that they have not only to change their travel plans but maybe to think about okay what's uh, what's going what do we have to deal with maybe the next days and the next weeks mm. so one aspect of this that that you've researched that i want to explore is the importance of radio mm -hmm. because it seems to me there's a dual purpose there from a, a narrative point of view one is people people resort to any way they can find to get information which is rumors mm -hmm. and we see that in the films and tv where mm -hmm. it's somebody tells them something they have no way to check that yep. information so it might as well be true mm -hmm. Or the radio, which is, in a sense, the last authority-based yep, right. source of information. And yet, sometimes the radio serves a purpose you just talked about, which is almost that that role of God, the omniscient mm -hmm, narrator, mm -hmm. because it seems like for the characters in the story, if they're hearing it from a trusted radio station, that that must be the truth. Mm -hmm. And yet you realize that radio station is getting inputs of information yeah. from the same bad sources as the characters. <laughs> so what is the importance of radio in these narratives that you explored and and what does it what does it say about us that we resort to these images most of us have only in cultural memory mm -hmm. of 80 or 100 years ago of a family huddled around a radio yeah. listening to a chat from a from an authoritative source. Mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, when thinking about the blackouts and seeing all, all these motion pictures and series I only hope that everybody has a radio at home. Um, not only because it can be fun just switching on the radio also uh, when the when the electricity is working but um, in this situations you could say it's mostly a lifesaver for the for the characters. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Of course there are problems as you said uh, also radio stations have to deal with the situation that they do not uh, they cannot trust anymore that uh, they are uh, that their sources are um, as uh, plausible or reasonable as as they were but um, somehow they are professionals and they know how to sort these things out and they have the generators and they're working for some more days than all the other social institutions so um, radio is important and um, as you explained um, very well uh, that the radio is always the last institution of you could say not truth but connecting to society and society communicating with each other because as as we said mobile phones do not work anymore television somehow of course works that's um, a, a dilemma situation that broadcasting still works but you cannot see what's what's broadcast because you <laughs> have no electricity anymore mm -hmm. and uh, almost nobody has these small battery uh, tv sets so um, radio is important to not only get information but i would say in the shows and in the motion pictures it's like yeah, the last working institution. And that's so important for people in a disaster that they still have the feeling that something is still there working and um, working for us and trying to help us. And the most um, panicking moment in most of these narratives is if the radio just uh, silences and uh, you have, you know, only uh, this, mm -hmm. uh, this voice mm -hmm. of nothing. Um, this can do 
a lot to a person psychologically and of course also to a society um, if this last resort you could say it doesn't work anymore yeah there's a fundamental difference between right now as we're speaking here in the studio if the electricity were to go out first of all it would be a shame because this conversation would end rather abruptly mm. but we we would be walking around wondering mm -hmm. what was happening mm -hmm. and if we had access to a radio mm -hmm. and we could hear people broadcasting saying hey we don't know what's causing this but across the east coast of the mm -hmm. united states power appears to be out at least there's some connection mm -hmm. to the world mm -hmm. we know that the radio stations still exist that there is a world yep. out yep. there that's right whereas in some of these narratives the characters literally don't know sometimes mm -hmm. it's just a person or a small group of yep. people more often and sometimes they have no idea if they are literally the last people left on yeah. earth because they don't have that voice from the radio. Yeah. And the problem is that today we are, you know, it's so normal to have always feedback. You're sending a WhatsApp message and you see two, how do you call them in English, two these, yeah, these the signs that that yep. it's got through and yep. then the blue um, icon and then they're answering and they're, you can see the other person is typing so it's, um, also in the philosophical discourse, um, a very typical thing for modern societies that we are somehow always want to, a reaction to our actions. And that's totally human, I think, uh, to, to want this. But this is something which what is almost completely lost in the blackout situation mm. because all those communicating systems, it's, it's not just mobile phones, it's everything uh, um, what we are using every day. Um, they are not reacting anymore um, to, our, to our actions. So um, as you said, um, still feeling there is somebody is very important. Yeah. One of the common applications of this, of course, is to the horror genre mm -hmm. because it's it's very easy to have that theme of sudden darkness be in a blackout movie. It's, yeah. Electricity is associated with many things, but mm -hmm. the primary one is is light and visibility into what, what is available to us in, as a sensory input. So sudden darkness in film and TV can stand in for a whole lot of existential problems but it almost always uh ends up being at least somewhat suspenseful mm -hmm. and often something that is uh that is terrifying that's right so i find that not all horror movies that involve darkness are necessarily about a blackout no it can be evening yeah it can be underground there can be other situations but they're mostly dark you, but, but you... it, it, they're mostly dark <laughs> And it is surprising upon reflecting on it, mm -hmm. how many horror movies do have some kind of a blackout situation. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, however that's defined, whether it's uh, the Purge series, mm -hmm. how the, the, the blackout seems to always happen. Yes, it's a nighttime thing, but there also almost always seems to be some kind of electrical outage mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as well. And many other horror movies, mm -hmm. um, which kind of gets to a different theme here. If it's, if it's, a plot device to entertain better, to raise the mm. suspense, but they're not really exploring what the darkness and the lack of electricity explicitly does, yeah. then it feels different than the other things we've talked about. Then it just sounds like a different way to make you scared of something <laughs> that goes bump in the night. Uh, that's um, It's interesting to think about that because, you know, one thing about motion pictures and TV shows is always that directors and writers have to think about how do they make plausible what is happening in their mm. uh, shows and in their, in their pictures. And as we said, somehow you need darkness in horror movies. And um, 
it's obvious why, because you cannot see the hand of the murderer coming uh, or lying on your shoulder or anything bad that's happening. Um, you see it too late, and um, that's what makes a horror movie so terrible and frightening. But um, maybe this is one mean to make it plausible why it's dark, <laughs> that you have a blackout. But the other thing is... Um, that a blackout is not only darkness, but it is so fundamental that, mm-hmm. um, as we said, um, it's not just about the lights are going off, but the total um, end of communication of responding society to your, for example, nine one one. Yeah, you cannot mm-hmm. call anybody to help you. Right. And this would be a completely different case if just lights are off or it's night, because still society is helping you if there's something going wrong. And so. I would say it's both. It's entertaining, but also it's somehow needed to, um, yeah, make plausible this um, this world. How why it is so terrifying to the characters in this situation. You mentioned calling nine one one, and that that does make me think about the representations in in these media about government response, mm-hmm. because you know I know my local police department and fire department, and and I know that if there were a catastrophe like this. Mm-hmm. They would be there. They would be ready to help. Mm-hmm. But they'd be just as confused as we are about who needs help, mm-hmm. how to get to them, depending mm-hmm. on what else has happened. And and I would not know they were there mm-hmm. because I would not be able to call in many cases and yep. get through because you, everybody thinks, well, phone lines aren't mm-hmm. connected to electricity. But so much phone communication now goes through uh, the VOIP protocols, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it is connected to the electrical grid, yep. whether we like it or not. But – in films, I'm thinking the typical government response you see, um, unless it's explicit in the plot like The Purge where you know the, the whole point is that, that those resources aren't available, mm-hmm. it's often things like, I guess Cloverfield has it to some degree, um, How It Ends, which we mentioned mm-hmm. has it, where at some point suddenly fighter jets go screaming by. <laughs> yeah. And so there's some visual and – it's. I think it's done mostly for the sound effect. There's mm-hmm. the the audible evidence mm-hmm. of government is reacting to mm-hmm. something big. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. That gives characters some confidence that somebody's out there doing something about this. Mm-hmm. But it also leads to this heightened anxiety and yeah. fear because that means what's happening isn't a substation down yeah. the street. That's right. That means there's something big and bad. Mm-hmm. And in Cloverfield, eventually you get glimpses of the big bad. Mm-hmm. But in terms of government response, you don't often see people walking down the street to their closest police station and just saying, hi, <laughs> how's it going out there? Mm-hmm. What, 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 what do you want us to do? What mm-hmm. are you going to be doing? I don't see that in these movies as much as people – reacting to what in in the United States would be the federal government flying yeah. fighter jets yeah, around yeah. to do how how do you characterize the the representation of different government responses in these movies and getting to your overall theme of wanting to help those people prepare better uh, mm-hmm. what do you think that those people if they watch all of the movies and TV shows that you watched mm-hmm. what do you think those emergency responders get wrong mm-hmm. by watching all of this mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. When I think about our two types again, you could say about the short blackout situations in, for example, sitcoms or in hospital drama series, you could say it's the same thing um, that they are reacting the way somehow. Of course, they're professionals and they know what Mm -hmm. they have to do, but they are confused as the the people um, who do not know what to do now. And they, you could really say they are doing just their best on the very bad um, conditions and they are 
working hours late and they are um, making extra shifts and they are trying to um, just to respond somehow adequately to the situation. Mm -hmm. But uh, they mostly they are, <laughs> of course, we always hope that they know more <laughs> than we, but mostly it's that it's the same way that they do know exactly the as much as we know right. about the reasons and about the duration of such a situation. So um, I would say what can... Um, professionals in this um in these um areas can learn from the shows and from the motion pictures is that they should try to do as much as they can to prepare for such a situation in advance so they can more focus on the really main troubles and the main emergencies in such a situation and they can separate the less important uh, cases and the second thing is of course with the you could say big issues uh, the big uh, apocalypses mm -hmm. and then of course, it would be helpful if the people are going to their police station and there are, as I can remember a paper I wrote um, in Germany where mm -hmm. they are planning to do, it's called the, you could say, lighthouse project that mm -hmm. they have in big cities like um, places people know where they can go in an emergency situation. I don't know, mm -hmm. if maybe you have something yeah. equivalent in, in the United States, mm -hmm. but it's not the fire station or the police uh, station. It can be a community house or something like this where mm -hmm. uh, is, where some food and water is stored and uh, people can just come together to get good information, mm -hmm. trustworthy information. I think that's a very important thing, but you do not have this in very many countries. No. And I think Switzerland is very good at this thing. Yeah. They have this for years already. Um, this would be maybe also one thing that we can learn from these pictures because, as you said, people do not know where to go. They are, of course, staying at home, trying to just um, wait until this is over. But, um, you, of course, you need information, you need food, you need maybe medicines for your children or for your, for your mm -hmm. grandparents. So um, this would be important that people have one place um, of, of trust. And no one place of trust. And I'm thinking here in the American context, I live here. There is no one place that has all of that, right? You, you, I would think immediately of a pharmacy mm -hmm. because obviously if it comes to life-threatening issues in the first 24, 48 hours, some people need access to certain medicines. Mm -hmm. So you would want it to be the pharmacy. Well, there are very few pharmacies I can think of that have the ability to be a community rallying mm -hmm. point. They don't have the physical infrastructure to do that. You also want it to be somewhere, you know, obviously with sanitation and with uh, access or proximity to uh, police or other authorities. And I'm coming up blank. It's, it's just not an easy thing to center in on. Mm -hmm. um, instead, what we see a lot in the film representations is is not people going to these central locations, mm -hmm. but but people fighting it out on their own. <laughs> right. And maybe that's just more dramatic. But mm -hmm. but you're right. Maybe that does reflect the fact that a lot of modern societies simply don't have that backup plan. They do not have the backup plan and I think nobody thinks, of course, it's not comfortable to, to talk about these things, you know, after writing those two books, I sometimes also feel depressed about, um, not in a clinical way, you know, mm -hmm. but just it's it's confusing about thinking what could happen and um, after all, of course, I did also my own small preparations just to fulfill, for example, I have a small checklist in my book at the end, just mm -hmm. what you could do as a normal person um, with low budget, uh, what would be helpful in, in, in such a situation. And I think not very many people have done these preparations. So it's totally normal that they are uh, overwhelmed by the situation when it um, suddenly occurs. So what I would hope that everybody does a minimal preparation, you know, of course, you always have this prepper scene and all these, uh, I want to stay diplomatic, you know, but uh, 
it's it's not about preparing for the end of the world it's about preparing to be on yourself maybe for seven days for 10 days mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this is all what I, I think everybody can do that and um this is maybe one thing that we can all learn also from the motion motion pictures and from the tv shows for 80 percent of the characters it would be a great help if they have not to go out of their flats after three days because they have no food anymore and they have no water anymore right. and they have to fight zombies to get their medicine it would be very comfortable just to stay at home well you, you raise a good point which is all of us having watched enough of these movies i know what the right thing to do is to be prepared which is to uh build an underground bunker <laughs> and actually there are a few that do this right mm -hmm. where you have somebody who is a survivalist who has built a facility in in the one case i'm thinking of with is it john goodman as the actor but there's one where he's underground and he's yeah. recreated like this living room that just Full looks mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 a little bit disturbing um and it gets more so but i i, I should build that bunker that has uh, uh independent food source mm -hmm. non-perishables and water and stockpiled medicines and maybe weapons and certainly <laughs> an independent ventilation system mm -hmm. so that i can survive with uh, a small family for 30 40 years that's what i think i should do based on watching all of these <laughs> And I don't know anybody, um, people who have means exponentially greater than mine, who will do this, mm -hmm. right? And you would think, therefore, the backup plan would seem much easier, which is have, like you said, seven to ten days of mm -hmm. some essential items. And we'll walk through some of your checklist in a moment. And yet most people know they should do this, and they still haven't. Mm -hmm. Why is that? What mm -hmm. What is it about us that pretends like because this is a distant possibility mm -hmm. I shouldn't prepare for what would be a really, really crappy situation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just love the example of uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, what you're talking about mm -hmm. with um, John Goodman's his name. I'm, I'm very bad with names, but I know him as uh, Fred Flintstone, you know, as a That's father right. figure. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, we do not want to spoil anything. But uh, as you said, he is um, trying to survive a... I cannot even say what he's trying to survive. He is trying to survive underground, uh, yes. a bad situation. And it looks like that he's preparing for to stay many years underground. And mm -hmm. what I have learned from motion pictures and TV shows, it's that's the worst idea you can have because it's always failing. Some, mm -hmm. it's, it's beginning with social conflicts, you know, in the underground. You cannot manage right. anything you, if you cannot go out. Go and, take a walk. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can't not, do it. It's, you can't do it. Yeah. And, the second thing is even if you survive what is waiting for you it's that world so that's not very helpful to do that i think that's obvious but you know it's also a psychological thing people are trying to do anything to deal with this idea uh, which are terrifying us and so yeah if the people have money they can do with that what they want um but that's one thing and the other thing is why do not people do the obvious thing and yeah it's Maybe also it has to do with psychology. Maybe it also has to do something with um, with our understanding of freedom or you could say of the interaction of the individual and, and government. I would say it would be the task also of governments to um, to educate people who are not talking about this topic as we are doing it, uh, who have not watched those movies with the focus on uh, disaster preparedness. Uh, you cannot um, think about the whole society dealing about this topic every day. And, um, you know, it would be a good idea for a government if they 
teach their people mm-hmm. and th- they can do it or they can do it not but uh, that everybody has the, the, the same knowledge you could say about this problem and that they can do their minimum uh, preparations that would be one thing and the other thing is um yeah at the end it's the decision of everybody um individually what they are doing and yeah uh, why they why they decide not to um to deal with these problems actually i can understand that you do not want to want to think about that (laughs) and that's very reasonable but it's not the best idea it is fun to reflect on the fact (laughs) that the um the the cloverfield series Mm -hmm. has has attacked this this issue this human condition from from different spatial elements so cloverfield was a surface movie it was Mm -hmm. about people dealing Mm -hmm. in new york city with with this event Mm -hmm. uh then there is the underground Mm -hmm. in uh 10 cloverfield and then i can't remember what it was called cloverfield paradox was it where it's in space yeah that's right and yet there's an issue with you know earth going dark Mm -hmm. in a different way um all you know very different spatial perspectives And yet it still boils down to the human reactions <laughs> of right. people it's thinking the they can escape it or thinking, what can I do to fix it or get things back to mm-hmm. the way they were? Um, they're all devices to get yeah. to the same yeah. psychological and sociological issues that you've explored. At the end, it's always about people and how they are um, interacting with each other. And But still, I think that um, it can take a lot of pressure from a social interaction if you have enough food and Mm -hmm. enough water. So you can have both. Uh, You can still have conflicts uh, in a a small social group. But if you have to to fight about bottled water, that's always a good thing. Well, we we can imagine a scenario in which there is some disaster, probably global in scope. Mm -hmm. And there are ways of getting water, whether it's rainwater, whether it's natural springs, whether it is some reservoirs. And there is some access to food. And and maybe it's for hundreds of survivors, maybe it's for millions, mm-hmm. but um, a sustainable situation, even if it is dark and desolate in a Mad Max kind of way. We can imagine that. And that there is no prospect of electricity coming back on. Mm. Uh, characters have lost hope or it's simply presented as this is the desolate landscape of life as yeah. we know it. Yeah. Um, in a case like that, what's interesting is what is of value in that world, right? People aren't people aren't buying the largest television screen mm-hmm. to watch sport mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. People aren't buying the the fastest uh, personal device mm-hmm. or phone. What is of value? Mm-hmm. And and I go here first to the Book of Eli again, mm-hmm. where that's the situation: is there are some survivors. Um, it's rough, but they're getting by. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like they're imminently all dying. Um, and what's of value? And one of the things that of of high value is uh wet wipes <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> when when he goes to the the, the engineer to do some yeah. trading one of the things that's of highest value yeah. is an unopened wet wipe because with water being rare the ability to wash oneself presumably yeah. uh through something as simple as a wet wipe which many of us would get handed to us on an airplane and throw away yeah um that becomes something that is of much mm-hmm. higher value than literally him walking in with a million dollars which now have no value. value. That's right. So talk about that. How have filmmakers explored the idea of uh, value mm-hmm. in a world in which our entire economic infrastructure has mm-hmm. gone away? I really love these scenes when you could say the rest of modernity, which is, is still 
what you can find maybe as a, as a KFC wet wipes uh, mm -hmm. in the Big of Eli. Um, I love the scene when he can almost demand anything for those uh, wet wipes. Um, of course, I do not want to spoil um, um, as much. Um, it still has to be interesting to read the book, of course. <laughs> but of course. in the checklist, you can find some. Mm -hmm. um, and it, of course, it's also funny to, to think about this, but it, it has a serious uh, character um, that it's not about only... Uh, food and water, but mm -hmm. that it's also about not getting sick, for example, if right. toilets are not flushing anymore. So it's always about to do something with what's coming out of you, um, even if the water is not uh, working. Mm -hmm. um, there are different ideas, uh, but this is a very, thing, um, very important thing to think about. Um, but it's also about, um, as you said, how can we um, make um, a market and how can we exchange goods if we have no money anymore right. and uh, so there are also different options but it's the best idea to have something which is very easy to exchange for example silver coins or gold coins many are just collecting them for fun and it's mostly in these pictures and the tv shows those people who have something anything which has some right. you could say universal mm -hmm. value of course mm -hmm. it's still only gold but right. somehow you have to uh, do exchanging and um, yeah. that that's one way but only one thing um the last thing i we could say this is an insider trick is the satellite telephone as what i learned oh. from motion pictures and tv shows the best thing <laughs> that you can you can have is a satellite telephone because it's working always um as long as the, the satellites are well, working and, and, the and that's the issue that <laughs> we come back to causes now because if it's a, a terrestrial issue mm -hmm. if terrorists have taken out the electricity grid and mm -hmm incapacitated it, not just blown up one power station, which has unfortunately happened, but somehow found found a way to take out the grid for a long period of time, mm -hmm. or if it's some kind of earthquake mm -hmm. scenario, um, then that's fine. If it is something like a solar flare or a gamma ray burst mm -hmm. or aliens, however described, they've probably taken out the satellites too. Ah, shit. Yeah, okay. I know. You're in trouble now, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you have to back up to what? Battery-powered walkie-talkies. That's yeah. not the worst idea. Yeah. We can only hope that the alien thing will not become true. Or, or <laughs> if, the, if it's, it's uh, coming true, then they will be friendly and nice. And Right. Uh, but um, still, it, that's a problem. Uh, with. Um, you could say there's not always a modern answer to anti-modern uh, situations. You, mm -hmm. you, you hope that you can always replace anything, you know, that the thing with the satellite phones is also, okay, if my mobile phone doesn't work anymore, I just take my satellite phone, everything is good as, mm -hmm. as I knew it, but that's not how it, how it works. After right. several weeks, you have to also have to think about something else. And as you said, also the walkie-talkie is only just a... It's it's a replacement for something which only also only work as long as you have batteries and also batteries are running out sometimes. So um, there are interesting series like the um, the Walking Dead World Beyond, and it's shown how they are doing uh, their best 10, 15 years after the uh, total zombie apocalypse. And for example, they are very good with using solar um, generators and battery mm. packs, um, and they are also uh, do not work. For all the time after 10 15 20 years they are failing also but mm -hmm. it's a good idea to right. have like a backup system um to use all the devices you cannot use anymore without electricity uh, but they would still work if you have electricity um so this is also a good option and mm. in, in the tv shows and in the motion pictures this is always um, also a lifesaver as a radio right 
And it, it's funny, you mentioned the, you know, aliens, hopefully they won't come here and destroy everything. <laughs> of course, that is where the drama comes from, mm-hmm. uh, except in some cases. Uh, obviously, this doesn't come up in, in your research on global blackouts for the very reason that they didn't do it. But I, I go back to, as a kid, watching a TV miniseries, at least in the United States, which was called V for uh-huh. the visitors. And they came, they come to Earth. But they're not destroying everything mm-hmm. because they actually want to keep humanity going. Oh. And that's all I'll say there. Um, it was remade probably, what, 15 years ago. They, they remade it as a new series. But the whole idea was they did not do a global blackout. Mm-hmm. They did not disrupt. They, mm-hmm. they wanted to keep things essentially mm-hmm. as they were in many ways. So we didn't have it. And it's not the only film or TV to do that. I go back to Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's, when there's some alien issue... The lights actually come on yeah, instead right. of going off. It's <laughs> it's almost like a surge effect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to basically say, we're coming, mm-hmm, look out for us. Mm-hmm. But it's not to disrupt and disable. Is there, there's, so there are different ways of playing with this from the alien perspective. Oh, yeah. The aliens love playing with us uh, when they're visiting us. And electricity is one thing, you know. The, the easiest thing is to, that's what we learn from these alien um, fictions and uh, Maybe we do not think uh, as much what we can learn from alien fictions, but one thing is that we can um, exhaust humanity very easily just by uh, plug off um, the electricity, mm-hmm. and that's what aliens mostly do. And they are very efficient by this. Of course, you can also use weapons and mm-hmm. kill everybody uh, individually, but that's very complicated. It's more easily just to stop electricity, wait four weeks, and then you see what happens. <laughs> it's, yep. a bit, it's bad to talk about this, but you know, um, we're, we're laughing about this because it's um, a serious thing, but in, in films, that's also a nice thing. We can sometimes laugh about bad things. And the second uh, thing is that um, sometimes the aliens, uh, just as you said, want to show we are here, and um, they have to communicate with us. And in the third in, um, encounters, it's Nice how they are, I think in the last scene, they are playing with uh, lights to communicate with the humans. So um, Mm -hmm. it's, you could say, electricity is not only um, important that our our society works, it's also a sign for modernity. It's also a sign for a civilization who is able to deal with electricity. So if uh, aliens are coming to us, we can be sure that that they will do something Mm -hmm. electric and yeah. um, they know that this is our vulnerable point um, that they easily and it's, it's not only about aliens it's about we have to talk about war in these days we have to talk mm. about terrorism mm-hmm. it's the easiest way to show modern society right. that's very easy to destroy it you mentioned the value of laughing uh, during a situation like this mm-hmm. and and that's an angle that I really hadn't thought through is the fact that a lot of situation you know sitcoms and comedies have addressed blackout. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what have you found as the common themes in a comedy presentation of a world without electricity? Yeah, you have always, I would say, maybe not always, but in most cases of sitcoms, you have a blackout episode. And, you know, it's a bit like what we talked at the beginning. Um, it's a um, small intervention into this perfect world of modern everyday life and they have to deal with that and after 20 minutes in a sitcom we always know everything is good again Mm -hmm. so we do not have to worry about 
the end of the world. We only have to worry about, for example, Sheldon, who is uh, <laughs> trying to use the situation to show Big Leonard that, again. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. he, he needs him and um, he's using his urine uh, purifying system. <laughs> so it's just fun to watch them. And what's funny about those um, narratives is mostly that um, characters who are fighting each other sometimes or who have not very close social contact anymore as neighbors, for example, they have to interact again with each other. So this is, could you you could say, uh, a stereotype again, as we have also in drama series or as, as in the hospital series. But um, I think that's a nice thing to see that um, even a bad situation can mm -hmm. evolve in some new kind of partnership with other people and that we um, that we come together again as people, as a right. community. Yeah, we don't see too many examples of a movie that is wholly serious, tragic, mm -hmm. that at the end turns into a comedy uh, or a comedy, especially a series that mm -hmm. is known for that. And then it goes dark and mm -hmm. ends mm -hmm. that now that would be dramatic if the Big Bang Theory, <laughs> you know, if that episode uh, had had ended with them not reconnecting with the world, <laughs> that would be dramatic. Right? right. But yet that's not that's not what the audience is there for. And, and that changes how we perceive it because you see a blackout very differently in a movie like Cloverfield or a movie like, well, any of the dozens mm -hmm. we've mentioned than you do in a sitcom mm -hmm. because you know it's going to be okay. You, you know that they're going to have some hijinks and maybe some serious things in a very special episode along with the funny things. Mm -hmm. But you're not really worried that they are going to die. No, mostly not. But there's one exception, and mm. I just love this. Uh, not really an exception, as as you said, nobody's mm. dying, so mm. don't worry. But uh, I just love <laughs> Superstore, uh, this show. I, oh yeah. Uh, and there's we do not want to spoil too mm. much, but it gets very dark at the end okay. of one season, and mm -hmm. I almost cried because it was so it was so sad what's happening. Mm. It shows that even in a it's of course they are exhausted by their jobs. Uh, those people working in this in the supermarket mm -hmm. and they do not really like what they are doing. But they have this community feeling and they help each other mostly. And then something happens. It has also to do with a blackout and they are standing in front of nothing. This is also the last picture in my in my book because mm -hmm. I've thought that this is um, maybe a good sign for for the whole blackout problem. Only if we lose something we love, then we know maybe what we love and what we needed and what we um, use in an everyday sense that we um, only feel what it means if we lost it. And mm -hmm. yeah, so it, it sometimes even in sitcoms, it can be very dark. But as you said, they survive at the end and they will rebuild and in Germany, we say, um, wenn sie nicht gestorben sind, dann leben wir noch heute. Wie heißt das auch in English? It's if, if they haven't died, they are still living happily at, <laughs> uh, until their, their until the end of their lives. Um, mm -hmm. There are some. This is a, a subgenre, if you will, that didn't exist decades ago, which is, I guess, the dark comedy, where where it's uh, it's presumptively a comedy, but they do hit some very dark themes, and they make that part of the almost uncomfortable humor. So I'm thinking of things in the United States like community. Superstore, I think, mm -hmm. gets at some of the same things. Mm -hmm. um, in a different way, the the flight attendant, um, <laughs> which creates the link back to Big Bang Theory through, right. <laughs> uh, through the actress. Mm -hmm. um, but th this is a way that you actually can explore some of these themes and not have it be as, as formulaic, is bend the genre just enough that 
Superstore might be the one that does it best is you can have the blackout and you actually do wonder about it more than the typical comedy. That's right. Yeah. That's fun. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what is in I'm, – I'm not going to sit here, reach across, and open up your, your bag that you're carrying. <laughs> but I, I'm really curious, what is it that you have, whether when you travel or at home, <laughs> as a result of all of this research, what is it that you think of as the most important things that you want to have nearby in case there is a global blackout? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Actually, nothing in my bag is uh, – for for this purpose but so um, we're in trouble if it happens now we have to rely on the we, the good offices know, of goat rodeo studios yeah the, the thing is you cannot prepare for this right. situation in, yeah. in every minute of course you have yeah. your stuff at home and you uh, have to rely that we are helping each other if something like mm-hmm. this happens but um, i'm not yeah. carrying a, 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 around a backup uh, or emergency <laughs> rescue Bunch system of bottled water on one shoulder <laughs> no Radio, uh, crank radio on the that, other shoulder. That would be great. But at home, you have a few things that you feel to give you some psychological peace. You probably have a few things ready if you need them. Of course, but I would actually not say that's for psychological reasons. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's also as always everything has to do with psychology. Mm-hmm. But this is only more or less the um, the thing that I read maybe a bit too much and uh, <laughs> learned too much about this topic. But I tried to stop myself with what officially is... Um, uh, what's the official um, message is by, for example, our German um, Bundesamt für Bevölkerungsschutz und Katastrophenhilfe. You have the FEMA and they more or less exactly say what you need and that is what I have. And mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. also enough. And I right. think it's important to discipline yourself somehow to um, to deal with this issue psychologically in a, in a, um, in a way that you still have a good feeling about this. You know, if you are preparing for the end of the world, then you have to prepare every day of your life for mm. the end of the world. And this is not a good idea if the society is always no. in this end time mode. Yeah, that's a big burden that perhaps ex- exacts a greater toll mm-hmm. than the effort of not being prepared yeah. <laughs> and the risk that comes with it. That's right. Um, let's go back to the overall theme I started with, which is part of your mission studying this is to help the people who must respond, is to help the decision makers and the emergency management people. Um, if there's one thing they could be doing differently tomorrow than today, uh, based on what you've learned about the human condition, uh, what is it? When I'm thinking about the motion pictures again and the TV shows, it's mm-hmm. the problem that the politics, governments, of course, they always think about that they have to be reelected. And they do not want to Mm. focus on problems in the way they should do it. And on the other hand, there are some politicians who trying to get their benefit from thinking about the catastrophe. You can Mm. think about far-right people um, who think it's not even a bad thing for us from a political point of view um, if something is going wrong. So to find a good middle way mm-hmm. is not very easy. But uh, what I would say is to, you could say, um, talk to people in a way that they understand um, without um, terrifying them. So um, I think today it's more important than ever to... Um, keep in mind that our world is becoming more complex, that it is becoming more insecure, and at the same it's becoming more comfortable and secure. So this is mm-hmm. a dilemma situation. We cannot solve it. will be this way in the century. That way, yeah. if we want to have modern technology, then we have to deal with disruptions and to have to deal with catastrophes. So 
I'm not sure that this is on everybody's mind in this moment. And I think it, it would be a good idea um, from, from the perspective of governments if they are learning to address the everyday as well as the future problems more directly and more, you could say, to trust the people that they can deal with the reality, that they can, that they can deal with um, what's happening. I, I like that. I mean, what, one thing that these these fictional representations have shown us is that you can't fully trust the people to do that. Yeah. Yet there is no better alternative yeah. because there is not going to be a perfect government no. response. That's right. So you have to trust the people, and at the end, it's um, the people who have to deal with this individually. And state can do a lot to help those who cannot help themselves. For example, mm -hmm. people who are sick, who are old, who need help. Um, but it can also be, um, it could be everybody who needs help in such a situation, but they cannot right. help everybody. So um, where we in an everyday situation can trust each other that we're helping each other, we mm. cannot trust this. And this is not a bad thing. Uh, it's just reality that we cannot trust in this sense, everybody, each other in, in such a catastro catastrophic situation. So everybody is asked to do their best. Yeah. Well, I'm going to reach into our chatterbox here to pull out a random question <laughs> mm -hmm. and see. Oh, the chatterbox is wise. The chatterbox asks you, oh. who played the best James Bond? Oh, my God. Oh, but it's an easy question. Oh, really? Because a lot of people think it's an easy question and they come up with entirely different answers. Okay, I see. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I only know Daniel Craig, but I, mm. after I know mm. him, I do not want to watch all the others. <laughs> but I, I'm sorry about it. I know some of the others, but mm -hmm. maybe it's just, um, you know, as you have heard, modernity is my favorite topic, yep. and I yep. like a modern James Bond who is dealing right. with women the right way, who is yeah. dealing with its own deficits the right way, so mm. I don't know the guys from the 70s, 60s, 80s, 90s, if they did. But they have had their time and was right. also fun. And Daniel Craig still plays some of the grittiness of the character and That's some right. of the dark side, mm -hmm. which is which is true to the Ian Fleming novels, uh, but without some of the campiness of the 70s and, and mm -hmm. 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and it also is a question that, you know, do, do you focus more on the actor and how they played it or more on the role? Because you put Daniel Craig into Moonraker, it's still going to be a silly movie in some ways with a lot of those tropes. That's right. Uh, and if you put Sean Connery into one of the more modern scripts, mm -hmm. it's more about the writing of the character mm. than the acting necessarily. But That's right. It's a fair answer. Uh, <laughs> Dennis, thank you for coming. Thank you for talking to me about this. And everyone should be very familiar with your books on the pandemic and then the one we spoke the most about, which is Preparing for the Global Blackout, a disaster guide from TV and cinema. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. That was Chatter, a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo. Please subscribe to the podcast and find us on Twitter at That Was Chatter.